Well, in our society today, in our culture, our culture often dictates our idea of success. Now, as children of God, I hope that's not the case. But as people who try to be in this world and not of this world, we know that, that sometimes the world has influence on us. And so sometimes it would be all too easy to look at someone else's life or lifestyle and wonder why couldn't that be me. It would be all too easy to think about where you are in life right now and think, you know, this is not what I expected. This is not what I imagined it looking like. And I know that when I was in my late teens and certainly in my early, mid-twenties, late-twenties, that I had ideas about life and what life would look like. About where I might live and what kind of house I might live in. I had ideas about maybe how many children Stacy and I would have. And I'll just tell you, it didn't turn out the way the younger version of me imagined. And I'm, for some of you, I would imagine it's kind of the same way doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, right? But we look back on what we might have imagined some years and for some of us decades ago and you say, boy, it didn't quite turn out like I had thought. So hold that thought. So we're going to come back to that a bit later. And we look in Genesis 37. In the book of Genesis, we find so many people that do great things for God, but yet Holy Scripture shows us their flaws. The Bible is full of those people. People that do great things for God, and yet they fall short. And I appreciate that our Bibles carry with it that kind of transparency, that kind of authenticity, that we get to see whether it's Noah or David or Abraham, that we see these great people in God's kingdom, and yet we see that they are flawed human beings. And it should resonate with all of us, because we look in the mirror each morning And if we're honest, we see what, church? A flawed human being. A sinner saved by grace. A broken person in need of God's love and grace. But yet someone who is capable with God's love of letting the light within us shine as bright as it possibly can. Now we see one such person in Genesis 37 and his story carries us all the way through the end of Holy Scripture's opening book. Join me there in Genesis 37 beginning with verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. 
This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Okay, right there. Now there's a flaw, okay? Because all these brothers, no one likes a tattletale, right? And so right there, he brings dad a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up, rose and stood upright. While your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told this to his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Now, Joseph suffers from a little thing known as emotional intelligence, or maybe a lack thereof. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's how we engage other people. And it can be a challenge for some people in life. You know those people. And I know at times I've struggled with sharing too much or saying things that I shouldn't have said and I had to do a little backpedaling and maybe even some apologizing later. And so Joseph is young though. We know he's 17. And so did you notice, church family, how many times in those 11 verses of Scripture that we heard the word hated. I do not ever recall a section of God's word where I hear the word hated that many times. Now that's a flaw on the part of his brothers, is it not? To have that much hatred and jealousy towards someone else. To some degree, he brings it on himself. But still, no one deserves to be hated like this. And so if you know how the story develops, his father sends him out yet once again to find out what his brothers are up to. Go out, see what they're doing, and bring me back a report, Israel says. Now remember, Israel was, it was Jacob until God changed his name. And so Joseph then goes out and he looks for his brothers where he, they were supposed to be. And they're not there and he finds a local and says, hey, 
Have you seen these guys? And he is told, yes, I've seen someone matching that description and they said they were going to another place. And so he tells them where to go and he's, he's approaching them, he's off in the distance and one of the brothers looks up and says, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Other brothers chime in and say, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's take care of him once and for all. But his brother Reuben feels for him and wants to protect him. So Reuben steps in and sort of talks his brothers off the ledge, you might say. And so Reuben says, hey, let's not kill him, but there's a cistern over here. We can put him in that, and so they agree to that. And then later on, while Reuben is away from the rest of the group, then here comes a caravan. And they decide, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him to these folks. See what we can get for him. And so for 20 shekels of silver, they have one less brother in their life. One that they have hated. And so Reuben returns and looks down in the cistern and Joseph is not there. And so he's beside himself and that's when they concoct the plan that, hey, we are going to take this robe of his, we'll dip it in some blood and we'll give it to dad and say, is this your son's robe? We found it. He must have been devoured by a ferocious animal. And of course, Jacob is absolutely beside himself at the loss of this son. And so, things start to look up for Joseph. We know that he is sold into the home of a guy named Potiphar, who is the captain of the guard. And in Potiphar's house, he becomes trusted. And Potiphar sees the virtue in Joseph that he is responsible and capable and puts him in charge of his household. And Scripture tells us that when Potiphar is away, as he often was, that he had no concerns about what was going on within his household. So even with this, even being betrayed by his brothers the way he was, you see God working in his life. But there was one problem with Potiphar's household, wasn't there, church? Potiphar's wife. Because, as we've already stated, Potiphar was away a lot. And she found Joseph to be attractive. And so for some period of time, we don't know how many times she might have approached him, but for some period of time, he is harassed by her. Until finally one day, she says, come to bed with me. And he will not have it. Scripture says flee from evil, doesn't it? Joseph does it literally. And then Potiphar returns to his household and his wife says, look, he came here to make sport of us. He tried to have his way with me. Look, here's his garment right here. 
And so he finds himself in a jail. But once again, his virtue, his character shine through. And the warden of the jail puts him in charge of other prisoners. And he meets a cupbearer and a baker and he interprets dreams for them. And so the cupbearer is supposed to remember Joseph when he returns to the side of King Pharaoh. But he doesn't. And scripture tells us that Joseph is in this prison for a couple more years. Now you think about your life. And you can kind of think about some of the snapshots of your life. You can think about the ups and the downs. The gains and the losses. The diagnosis. The clean report. You think about just, you might say, the peaks and valleys of life on this side of glory. And I can't help but think, but at this point, as young as he is, Joseph has already had some time on his hands to think about such things. But then one day, the cupbearer looks at the king's face and says, King, why are you troubled? He said, well, I've been having these dreams. And boy, nobody can tell me what they mean. And that's when the cupbearer remembers And he says, you know, he says, I I have failed you, king. There was somebody I was supposed to tell you about some time ago. And now I remember because he is an interpreter of dreams. And the king says, well, send for him. And so when Joseph was introduced to the king, the king says, hey, I've been having these dreams. I understand you can interpret them. And in Genesis 41, verse 16, now this is some of Joseph's faithfulness we see here. Because he says to the king, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. In other words, it's a perfect opportunity standing in front of power to say, oh, absolutely. Yes, sir, king, I can tell you what you need to hear. But he doesn't do that, does he? No. (coughs) Excuse me. What he says is, I don't have this ability, but it is only God who does it through me. And because of that, you will get the answer that you are looking for. Now, church family... When your great-grandfather is Abraham and your grandfather is Isaac and your dad is Jacob, maybe you just automatically have that kind of faithfulness, but I don't think so. I think Joseph is special here. I think he gets some 14 chapters of Genesis Because we are to look upon his character and his faithfulness as something that we should take for ourselves. And so he tells the king, no, I can't do it, but God can do it. 
And so then he hears about these dreams. Well, there were seven good-looking cows, and then they came up out of the Nile River, and then all of a sudden there were seven ugly, skinny, just nasty-looking cows. And the ugly cows ate the healthy cows. But looking at the ugly cows, you couldn't tell that they'd had a meal. They still looked skinny and ugly. And then there were these seven heads of grain, and they looked robust and healthy. And, and oh my goodness, but then there were these seven withered, rough-looking heads of grain. What does it mean? You know the story. King, there's going to be seven abundant years. And in those years of abundance, it would be good for you to store up for what comes after that. Because those skinny cows and those ugly heads of grain represent seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh is so, once again, so taken by his capabilities, by his responsibility, by his character. And so he puts him in charge of the country. He is the overseer of the royal estates. Pharaohs throughout history had a second-in-command called a grand vizier. And so Joseph is now set up with the limousine of his day. He's got this chariot. He's got people carrying him around. He has got people that run out in front of him. And in your mind's eye, just imagine the President of the United States in a well-fortified limousine with secret service agents doing what? Boy, those guys have got to be, guys and gals, have got to be in great shape. (coughs) Because they run alongside a moving vehicle. And they do it with suits on. Now that's impressive to me. And so they're running alongside the vehicle, right? And they're there to protect. They're there to make sure the path is clear. And so Joseph experiences that because in order to do what he's got to do for the next seven years, he's got to do some traveling around Egypt. (coughs) Excuse me, church. And so... Where does that bring us? It brings us back to those original dreams, doesn't it? Because where his brothers and his father are, after those seven robust and abundant years, come those seven lean years. Famine all around. And word spreads... They've got food down in Egypt. And so Joseph is reunited with his brothers once again. Someone who is in charge of an entire country. You know, a company has the the CEO 
but there's often that chief operations officer, that COO, the person who's making sure everything gets done. And that's the position Joseph is in. Now, years ago, there was a firefighter by the name of Mark Mack. He was a captain in the state of California, their state uh, firefighting force that, that went all over the state of California fighting wildfires. And in 2007, he was assigned to a major fire in the San Diego area. That location had burned four years prior and a firefighter had tragically lost his life. Mark and his team were stationed in the exact same place. With winds gusting up to 90 miles per hour, the threat was extremely high that the fire would begin to spread. Now, this has been a year in which there has been a lot of activity in the Atlantic and in the Gulf of Mexico. And so we hear about Category 1 and Category 2 and Category 3 and tropical storms and tropical depressions. To put this in perspective, gusting at 90 mile per hour winds, that is a strong Category 1. Maybe even, I'm not sure where a Category 2 hurricane starts, but 74 miles per hour is the wind that makes it a Category 1 hurricane. So these winds are a bit stronger than that. These are hurricane force winds ripping through this area and spreading this fire. And Mark Mack and his team have a day that he would never forget. Mark, the division supervisor, was tasked with keeping it contained by any means necessary. As his shift began, it became obvious to Mark that this was not going to be an easy day. One firefighter sustained a burn, another fell down a hillside, fractured his arm, and needed a team to rescue him. After that, an engine crew reported to Mark that they were being fired upon. You heard that right. Now, who shoots at firefighters? Well, apparently, people that own a meth lab. Yeah. So they're out there risking their lives to save people's homes and businesses. And they happen upon a meth lab and they start taking fire. In a different location, another firefighter fell into a canyon and broke his leg. His rescue required a Coast Guard helicopter. In an accident unrelated to the wildfire, a house caught on fire down the road from where they were stationed. An elderly man wandered away from home, leaving his family terrified that he had been caught in the wildfire. He wasn't. Three traffic collisions occurred that required firemen to be present. And finally, as Mark was flown by helicopter to survey the fire in his designated area, a warning light came on in the cockpit and the pilot had to make an emergency landing. All of this happened in the midst of the regular operations needed to contain a 100,000 acre wildfire. Mark said, finally, around 8.30 in the evening, things slowed down and I could catch my breath. I was extremely tired, stressed. <laughs> I appreciate his honesty here. <laughs> and very ticked off at God for making me go through all of that. 
I had the classic why me attitude. He sat on the tailgate of his truck feeling overwhelmed and exhausting. Noticing the box of sack lunches that had been prepared by a local church. Mark reached for a paper bag, realizing that he hadn't eaten all day. He says, the very first thing I pulled out was a small piece of green cardstock. Written in a child's handwriting, in black crayon, was thanks. Love, Allison. Now i got to tell you, as a preacher, one of the perks of the job is that sometimes kids draw pictures while you're preaching. And so it is one of the joys of my life when they come up to me after we conclude Sunday morning worship and they say, here Mr. Greg, I made this for you. Now, cleaning out my office. No, I'm not going anywhere. I'm cleaning up my office. Let's put it that way. And so, in the process, I have come across a few of those because I haven't thrown any of them away. You better believe. And so i got to figure out some way. I don't know if I'm going to figure out a way to frame them or what. Put them in a book. But you appreciate what a child has given you, don't you, church? And some of you know, as parents, grandparents, you've had a child or grandchild give you something. Maybe as a Sunday school teacher, you've had a child give you something. And so here he is, and he opens up this green cardstock, and in black credit says, Thanks, love, Allison. He says, I bowed my head and I wept. Then I heard that still, small voice. And he gently said, Son, you forgot why you were here. All of these things happen today because I know you would handle them. That's why I put you here. You forgot that it's not about you. It's about them. Meaning the people he's serving. And you bringing my love. And church family, isn't that exactly right? That it's about where we are is where we are. It may not be how we imagined it. I can imagine Joseph at times having some of those same thoughts that Mark Mack had. We see no evidence of that in Scripture. And we do see evidence in God's Word of people when they do have struggles and doubts. When John the Baptist is in jail and sends some of his disciples and says, go ask Jesus, make sure he's the Messiah. Make sure he's the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus says of John, of someone born of a woman, there is no one greater. And yet he had that struggle and that period of doubt. But we see no evidence of that with Joseph. We see someone who seems to take it as it comes. Please understand, there is a 13-year span from being sold into slavery 
until being placed in charge of Egypt by Pharaoh. So there's some peaks and valleys. That's more than a decade that he has to endure some of these hardships. And yet he is faithful all the while. And then what does he say in all that? When his brothers are now concerned after the passing of their father that, well, with dad out of the way, boy, he's going to drop the hammer. He's going to nail us. And then Joseph says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And all those years later, those words that Paul would be inspired to pen, that Blake read this morning. We're reminded that God doesn't cause all things, but He is capable of working through all things. And when I think about that, and I think about my life, and as I encourage you to think about your life, here we are. And at least at this moment, we are exactly where God wants us to be. And I think about gathering in this same room just yesterday as David Adcox offered a eulogy for Gary Schwindeman. And as he told about that one employee that said he was more than a boss, he was more than a friend, he was a father figure when I needed a father figure. Church family, that's not a small thing. And every one of us has a sphere of influence. Every one of us have people that we can influence and bless every single day that God gives us on this side of glory. Teachers, coaches, healthcare professionals, managers, business owners. The opportunity every day to be so much more than what your job title says you are. The opportunity every day to influence others in a positive way. And yes, there are going to be days when people are getting shot at. Metaphorically, I hope. There are going to be days where somebody falls and breaks a leg and falls and breaks an arm. In other words, there's going to be days when it's not all going right. There's going to be days when you're thinking, man, stuff is flowing downhill and I need to get off the bottom of the hill. And yeah, guys like Mark Mack and Joseph knew those kind of days. But church family, if we've got the right attitude, 
we embrace every single day as an opportunity to love and serve. And we can hear the voice of God saying, You are right where I need you to be. Be a shining light right where you are. And then when the time comes, they're actually going to pay you for it. Yeah. That's the attitude we should have. I'm not here to do a specific job. I'm here to love and serve. And somebody pays me for that. You might not have ever thought about it that way. I'm here to love. I'm here to serve. And they're paying me for it. Because every one of us is where God needs us to be right now. Church family, let's let's never, ever lose sight of that. Let's not spend our time thinking about the what-ifs or what could have been. Let's realize that we are where we are and God can use us wherever we are to love and influence those around us, to make a difference in their life so that when it's our time to depart from this life that someone can say about us, They were more than what their job title said they were. They were exactly what I needed when I needed it. Church family, let's be those people. Let's know that when things are not going our way, that God works through all things. If you were here this morning, and you have not yet become part of God's family, we offer the invitation. The waters of baptism are available. If you're here this morning and you've not been living the life that you're called to live and you want us to pray with you about that, we can do that as well. If there's something weighing on you that's pressing you, we offer the invitation so that we, as your church family, can share that burden and pray with you. Let's stand and sing together.